0: G'day, I'm Pete, and I'm going to do the reading tonight, which is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth?
1: might get you to take that mic with you. That's all right. Ta, mate. Um, hello, everybody. My name's Mark. Uh, if I haven't met you, welcome to church tonight. Um, we're really excited to keep going in Luke. I'm really enjoying this series, Through Luke's Gospel. Uh, this is probably going to be my last time preaching for a little while. We've got a baby due next week, and that means I'm probably going to take some time off after that. So if I don't see you for a month or so, you'll know where I am. We'll keep you in the loop. Uh, a couple of things just uh, to let you know about uh, before I start, which is... On the screen up there, you'll see there's a phone number at the top, and we'd encourage you, if uh, there are things that I say tonight or things that I don't say tonight that you have questions about, please do text those questions in, and we have a podcast called Deeper. It releases every week, and uh, we try and answer the questions that have arisen from the sermons each week. Uh, If you've got a question, you can send it there, and we'll try and tackle it this week. That's the first thing. Second thing to let you know, and we've mentioned this for a few weeks, is that uh, there's a whole bunch of people in our church who are waiting to be baptized, and we're aiming baptize about 10 or so people at Easter time. It's coming up sooner than you think. And so because of that, we're starting some baptism classes next Sunday, I believe. And so if you're somebody who is a Christian but has not yet been baptized, we'd love to have a chat with you about baptism. Uh, Why don't you come and speak to myself or one of the other pastors, and we can talk to you about why that would be a good thing for you to do. And uh, perhaps you could consider joining those baptism classes and exploring that with us starting from next week. That's all my news. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into Luke 18. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the freedom to gather together uh, in the name of Jesus, uh, with your word open on our laps. Uh, Lord, we don't take this privilege for granted because we know that it's not something that every person who is a follower of Jesus gets to enjoy around the world right now. Uh, So thank you. Please help us to make the most of this opportunity to learn, to hear you speaking, Uh, to understand the life that you're calling us to in Christ. Please give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to respond with obedience and faith and joy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, just over a year ago, there was a news story of a guy called Timothy Weeks. This is Timothy Weeks. Uh, He is an English teacher from Wagga Wagga. And he was in the news because uh, three years prior, he was abducted at gunpoint Uh, By the Taliban, he was teaching English in Afghanistan at the Kabul University. And as he left one day, some armed men pulled his van over, abducted him, and he was held prisoner for three years. Pretty rough go for three years for Timothy Weeks. Uh, He was beaten multiple times. He was interrogated frequently. He was supplied with only kind of the minimum amount of food needed in order to not die Uh, During that time, during his captivity, when he was being moved around all the time so that uh, the special forces couldn't find him, there were six different rescue attempts that went on to try and free Timothy, but none of them were successful. They came close a couple of times, but actually missed out. Timothy said, At times I felt as if my death was imminent and that I would never return to see those that I love again. I don't know if you can put yourself in Timothy's shoes. It's a bit of an extreme kind of scenario, but try to imagine how easy it would be if you were in that scenario to just give up hope, to, to find that waiting for rescue too hard, too long, to just throw in the towel because it seemed like all hope was lost. It seemed like justice would never come for you. I imagine that's the kind of thing that Timothy must have wrestled with, and I reckon it's the sort of thing that all of us would feel the pressure of if we were in that scenario. Timothy's story uh, took an interesting turn, because after three years or so of captivity, he was released by the Taliban as part of a a prisoner swap that had been organised by the government. He and an American man were released, and three Taliban uh, soldiers were released, and they were exchanged. After 1,200 or so days in captivity, he finally got to see his family again. He got to go home. And the kind of remarkable thing, actually, when he was interviewed after being released, was that he said, and I quote, I had hope the whole time. I knew that I would leave that place eventually. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? To have that sure hope, to to be able to wait it out, no matter how long it was going to take. To go through all that hardship, to wait for justice to arrive and to not lose hope. That's pretty remarkable. He didn't give up. He kept his faith. Now, in our passage in Luke chapter 18, in verse 1, Luke tells us the reason why he gives us this little story in chapter 18. Uh, He tells us the purpose there in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Why? To show them that they should always pray and not give up. And can I say, uh, as a preacher, a verse like that is music to my ears because that verse does my job for me. <laughs> I, in preparation, and we, when we're preaching, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's the purpose of this Bible passage? Why is it in here? What's it trying to do? And Luke, uh, for whatever reason, just tells us what it is. And so you, it'll be really easy for you to judge whether I'm teaching you the Bible correctly tonight because that's the purpose of the passage. And spoiler alert, that's supposed to be the, the purpose of my sermon as well. And so Luke is here to teach us this, uh, give us this story to teach us to pray and to not give up. Now, as we come to that topic, just bear in mind that we're not coming to it in isolation, right? We're coming to this uh, with the history of chapter 17, chapter 16, chapter 15 behind us. It's a story that we get to, to this point of. And if you were here last week, you saw in chapter 17, the second half, that, that, that there's this instance where the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him this question. They say to Jesus, When is the kingdom of God going to come? That's what they want to know. How long are they going to have to wait before God's kingdom is arrived and justice is delivered? And what Jesus explains throughout the second half of that chapter is that the arrival of the kingdom of God is an event for the future. It's something far off. It's something not yet here. The full, if you like, flowering of the kingdom of God is a future reality. And so Jesus makes the point, well, if that's true, then right now, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're living in a waiting period. Do you remember chapter 17, verse 22? Jesus says, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Jesus says, When it comes to the arrival of the kingdom of God, we're in a waiting period, before it finally and fully arrives. And so our parable today about persistent prayerfulness... It's not just about prayerfulness in a general sense. It's about prayerfulness whilst we wait for the arrival and the coming of the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom. It's about the battle for faith until that day, if you like. And I think Jesus knows, right, that to wait for him is going to be hard. He knows that it was going to be hard for his first disciples in the first century and hard for us here in the 21st century. Because the truth is, right, that as we live our lives, as the world sends its messages to us, the predominant message that we see is that the world is just going to keep going on and on. And in fact, the world's just going to keep getting better and better. There's nothing actually to suggest to us explicitly that Jesus is going to return and that all of history is going to come to an end. Unless you get that message from the Bible, the world's not going to tell you that, right? Right? And so it would be easy for us to just lose sight of that reality, that justice is coming. But more than that, Jesus, I think, knows that if we live for him, if we stand up for Jesus, then we ought to expect that the world is going to deride and mock us. Jesus knows that it's going to be hard to be someone who claims his name. And so he's telling us this to produce faith and persistent prayerfulness so that we do not lose heart and do not give up in the waiting. Because you see, when the Son of Man comes, he wants to find people who haven't given up because of the hardness of the waiting. He wants to find people who've kept going, who've persistently prayed for his return. And so he tells this story, this very cute little story with these two characters, the widow and the judge. And, And... The question that you should be asking when you come to read this this story is, well, how does this little episode, this this parable, teach us to pray and to not give up? Because that's what Jesus said it's going to do. That's the purpose of the story. So how does it do that? And I think uh, the answer is that we've got to take a closer look at those two characters, the widow and the judge. And as we look at those characters in a little bit more detail, we're going to see two things. We're going to see, first of all, actually just how deeply we need justice. We're going to be awoken to that reality of how much you and I need to call out for justice. And we're also going to be awoken to the reality that God is the only one who can give us that justice. Our hope for justice lies with him and no one else. That's where Jesus is going with this parable. So let's have a look, first of all, at the widow. Let's zoom in on her and let's notice our need for justice. Uh, If you were a widow in the first century, uh, you had a pretty tough lot in life. It was not something that you particularly wanted to be. Uh, Because uh, in the first century, the husband was usually the breadwinner. And so if he died, then your source of income died. And that put you uh, kind of on a knife's edge. Unless you had a son who was old enough to take care of you or a brother who was kind enough to take you in, then your existence was going to be pretty tenuous from that point Onwards, because there was no social safety net in Israel. Uh, there was no pension. There was no life insurance. Uh, and so this this widower, she's in a bit of a bad situation. But notice it's, it's actually worse than that. Somehow this widow has suffered injustice. She's a victim. She says in verse three, when she's speaking to the judge, she says, "Grant me justice against my adversary." She's been taken advantage of. Somehow we don't know exactly how, but the point is that she's vulnerable, right? she needs justice, she needs protection, she needs help. But you see, she is not going to lie down and play the victim as hard as her lot in life is. No, she's determined to get justice. You notice how that determination plays itself out. When she keeps going to the judge asking for justice, see the effect that it has on the judge in verse 5? The judge is worried that this woman, if he doesn't give her what she wants, that she's going to come and attack him right and so as as you read this if the image that you got in your mind of this widow is you know the nagging mother-in-law who's just you know having a go at you that's not the image of this widow this widow is fierce she is strong she is courageous she is determined to get what she needs and she will stand up for it and so she goes to this judge and she asks and pleads and puts her case before him again and again and again and again and again until he finally is going to give her what she wants what she needs that justice persistent pleading, and I wonder if you're familiar with that kind of tactic as a way to get what you want, persistently pleading until someone just gives in. I'll tell you, it's a tactic that my children are pretty familiar <laughs> with. Uh, my children actually, I think, have got this down to a fine art, because they, they pick their moments to plead with me. Right? It's often, for me, it's often when I have to take a phone call, and if it's an important phone call, you know, I'll have to try and leave the room and get some peace and quiet, you know, don't want to be disturbed. And as I leave the room, soon enough I'll notice that a child has accompanied me and they're just standing quietly behind me, waiting for me to recognise them. First of all, quite patiently, which is lovely, but just looking, just waiting for, for me to abandon what I'm doing and deal with them. Uh, and soon enough, they will start to ask for what they want. And they'll always do it in a roundabout kind of way. They won't take the direct route. They'll go a bit obtuse to begin with. They'll say, Daddy, I want something cold. Daddy, something cold? Can I have something cold? That, and at that point, I'm just trying to ignore them, hoping that they'll you know, lose interest and go back to whatever they're doing. Uh, but they always ratchet it up just a little bit. And so now they're, they're going to actually start spelling out for me what they want. Daddy, I want an ice block, Daddy. Daddy, an ice block. Can I have an ice block, Daddy? And uh, usually by that stage, I have to just ask them to please, come on, keep your voice down. Shh, I'm on the phone. No, not you. Sorry, no them. Can you believe please? It starts to become a problem, you see. Uh, But they're not done because their persistence is going to pay off. They're determined. And so then the begging starts. uh, The the emotional manipulation starts. Please, Daddy. Please, Daddy. I'm hot, Daddy. Pleasey, Daddy. Pleasey, wheezy, Daddy. And at that point, if I haven't given in, then there's one final recourse for them to, to make sure they clinch it and they get what they want. And it's the sad, blinky eyes. You know, the sad, blinky eyes. I'm a poor child without an ice block. And that's usually enough to get me to, to just give in, deal, get them out of the office, go and it's just simpler to give them what they want at that point. It's persistent pleading and it works. Now, the difference with the widow is, of course, that her cause is just. She has a valid reason, something good that she is desiring at this point. And did you notice that the amazing thing in this parable is that Jesus says that we are like the widow. That's who the widow is actually compared to. It's compared to the church, verse 7. Jesus says will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night that's us that's the church his chosen ones we are the widow in this story now question for you why would we need to cry out for justice like the widow would well, you remember what Jesus said back in chapter 17 he said that the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. You're in a period of waiting. You're going to long for me to return. Why? Because these days are going to be hard for Christians. And so you are going to be frustrated because you want me to come back and I'm not going to be back yet, says Jesus. And not only are we expecting to be frustrated as we live in these last days, Jesus actually warns us that these last days are going to be days of loss for Christians. Remember last week, chapter 17, towards the end, verse 33, Jesus says, "...whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it." Which means, you see, that the Christian is somebody who stands shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, even if that means personal expense, as an unsympathetic world takes and we lose things rather than preserving our life and holding on to them. That's why we would need to cry out for justice because these are days of frustration and loss. And so Jesus says, if, if the church is going to be the church in those last days, they're going to cry out for justice relentlessly, day and night, verse 7. And he doesn't mean you know, a repetitious chant that kind of just gets God into your debt because of the sheer quantity of prayers that you pray. You know, Jesus is against that sort of prayer. He's not talking about that. No, he's talking about the persistent, kind of relentless, heartfelt cry of somebody who is suffering injustice at the hands of the world and who knows that only God can help them. It's the kind of prayer that you find all throughout the Psalms. Are you familiar with that? The psalmists always pray, "'How long, O Lord? "'How long will you let me suffer at the hands of my enemies?' That's the kind of prayer Jesus is talking about here in Luke 18. It's the kind of prayer throughout the book of Revelation, you know, that great letter at the end of the New Testament written to the persecuted church, the predominant prayer throughout that book. The the place that book finishes is with the saints crying out, come Lord Jesus. That's the prayer Jesus is talking about here, a cry for justice. And Jesus says his church is going to cry out for that relentlessly in these last days. And I wonder how that sits with you. As I've been studying this this week, I've got to say I feel the challenge of that. Because Jesus, he doesn't say that the church, you know, may or may not cry out for justice in some parts of the world at certain times or another, depending on actually how bad and tough things are for Christians at that particular moment. No, he just makes this blanket statement and expects his chosen ones to be people who are constantly crying out for justice. And it begs the question for me, and I presume it begs the question for you too, why am I not more persistently crying out for justice to God? Do you have to ask that question as well? Because I certainly do. Why am I not doing this if Jesus expects this? And I've been, I've been sitting uncomfortably with that this week, and I've been trying to figure out why that is the case. And I suspect that part of the answer to that question, why we are not like this, is because Let's be honest, you and I don't feel the sting of injustice very much in our lives, do we? I mean, in Australia, at the moment, it's, it's not too hard to be a Christian. There might be some of us who suffer smaller grievances, some bigger even. We may lose our jobs if we stand up for Jesus at the wrong time in the wrong place. I grant you that. But for the most part, we get to live our lives pretty peaceably, even standing up boldly for the name of Jesus. And so we, don't just, we just don't feel the urgency to cry out for justice, do we? I think that's probably part of it, but I think also one of the reasons we don't do this is because most of us, and I include myself in this category, most of us are just simply ignorant of how much it costs people to follow Jesus in other parts of the world. Most of us, just we just don't know. We have no idea, actually, how hard and how costly it is people To stand up for Jesus right now, we are too busy, we're too distracted by our lives, by our, our comforts here in Wollongong. And it's just easier not to think about that, isn't it? About what other people have to go through, to even to be Christians in their home countries. I'd prefer not to think about that, to be honest with you. Last night, I was in bed, it was about midnight, and I got a message on WhatsApp from a friend of mine who's a missionary in a Muslim country. And I could see from the message that came through that it was an urgent prayer request. There was something going on in their particular ministry and they wanted people to pray then and there. And I could tell what it was just you know, from the notification. And I had like a, a wrestle there with my head on the pillow. Do I want to open this message? Because if I open it, then, well, look, I have to, I have to come face-to-face with a, a reality of how hard it is to be a Christian, to be a witness for Jesus in, in this country that they're in. And I have to, I'll be obligated to pray. I have to do something about it. And it would be much more comfortable at that point to just turn a blind eye to it. I wonder if you know that wrestle. How tempting it is to just ignore how costly it is for our brothers and sisters in Christ to be Christians this very day. Sadly, we we cannot hide from that because we, we know, don't we? We all know that we live in a world that is drastically out of kilter with its created purposes we know that we live in a world that's plagued by injustice and right unrighteousness and so i think the challenge that exists for us is that we've got to be people who learn to see the world the way god sees the world Uh, rather than just you know being indifferent because it doesn't affect me right now i don't need to call out for justice Uh, no we actually need to face up to justice we need to go to injustice we need to go out of our ways To notice it, to read about it, to hear the stories of Christian brothers and sisters who are suffering and being persecuted and being martyred for the name of Jesus, as uncomfortable as that might make us. We need to to come to grips with that and we need to be grieved by it. And if we feel apathy about that, then it's to our shame. We need to cultivate this hunger for justice. Because it's that hunger that points us to God. It's that hunger which makes people cry out, how long, O Lord? It's that hunger that makes people relentlessly pray, come, Lord Jesus, bring resolution. So when was the last time you did that? Can you remember the last time that your spirit was so provoked, so angered by what you've seen happening in this world, the injustice that is being done to God's name, to God's people? that you wept, that you you prayed then and there for the return of Jesus? Can you remember the last time that that happened for you? Because if not, then I reckon you're probably in the same boat as me, and that is of the people who need to have a greater hunger for God's justice. That's what the, the example of this widow teaches us. Now, as good as that is, as important as it is, that we recognise our need for justice in this world for God's people, that actually does us no good unless the God that we're praying to is a God who can do something about injustice. And so that's why we're going to look at the judge in the story, the second character. And As we look at the judge, what we're going to see is actually our hope for justice. The judge in this story, he's a great character, isn't he? In just a few words, Jesus does so much in painting a picture of this guy. Because the first time you meet him, Jesus is narrating in verse 2, and he says, In a certain town... There was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for people. And you think, oh, he doesn't sound very nice, does he? Wouldn't want to live in his town. Wouldn't want to have to have my case before him. But then later in the story, you get to verse 4, and you actually get to hear the inner monologue of the judge. And he says, even though I neither fear God nor care for people, it's like he knows how evil he is. (laughs) He knows what a piece of work he is. He has no compassion. He's indifferent to people. And he's not just. He doesn't care about God either. And so what's going to happen in this story when you get this widow who is so persistent in her pleas for justice, so determined, coming and butting heads with a judge who is so unjust and uncompassionate? What happens? Verse 4 and 5. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. You see, persistent pleas plus an unjust judge leads to justice, says Jesus. So how much more should we expect justice if the judge is good? That's the whole point of this parable. How much more should we expect justice if we find a judge who is the opposite of this? Now let's go back to the example of my children and their they pleas for ice blocks. You see, how much more would they have gotten what they needed if in that moment they had gone to their mother, who is all compassion and maternal love, instead of coming to me? Now, sure, they may have discovered that actually what they needed in that scenario was not ice blocks but actually more healthy food. But nevertheless, they would have gotten what they needed because in that moment, I'm just filled with frustration. Their mother is the one filled with love. You see, how much more... If you take those persistent pleas for justice and you add in a considerate and loving judge, how much more will you get justice? How much more will you get what you need? Because you see, that's the picture of God in this passage. You might think that this passage doesn't give you a picture of God, but it does. God is pictured here as a considerate and loving God. Do you notice the phrase that Jesus uses to describe the church in verse 7? It says, will will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? It's a phrase that speaks of God's loving purposes for his people. It speaks of God setting his affection on an unworthy people and doing everything he can to make them his own, paying the price of the blood of his own son, Jesus, so that he can lavish blessing and salvation upon an undeserving people. These are people that God cares for. He loves them. He is compassionate towards them. And so, of course, he is listening. Of course, he cares. He is not indifferent to their cries. And more than that, he is just too. You see that twice in verses 7 and 8. God is going to bring justice. That is what he's like. He is nothing like the judge of this story. And so, Jesus concludes that he says, I tell you, he will see, God will see that they get justice We get justice, and quickly. And that word quickly, uh, if you studied this passage in a home group this past week, maybe that was a bit of a stumbling block for you, because the obvious question is, well, the justice of God doesn't seem to be very quickly coming, does it? Uh, But there's a couple of ways that Jesus may have meant to use that word quickly. Uh, It's possible that Jesus was using it to describe the time between the asking for justice and the getting of justice. And he's saying it's a short time between those two things. And if if that's what Jesus meant, then we have to remember that, you see, in God's time frame, uh, it's quite different to ours. 2 Peter tells us that with the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. And so the time that we have been waiting for justice since Jesus returned to heaven and today has really, in God's schema, only been about 48 hours. And if Jesus takes another 1,000 years or two, then it's only going to have been three or four days relatively quickly. Perhaps that's what Jesus meant. But it also might be that Jesus meant that the quickness of God's justice is going to be seen when it comes, that it will be executed swiftly. It will be thorough. It will be absolute. It will reach all the corners of the earth instantaneously, and nobody will be able to doubt whether God cared for the plight of his people on that day. God will bring justice, quickly, because he is a loving and compassionate and just God. So let me ask you, friends, do you, do you believe that? Do, do you believe that that is your God? Is that the God that you pray to? Whenever it is that you, you pray in your life, personally, in groups, in church, is that the God, the, the portrait of God that you imagine as you you offer your prayers to him, that he is compassionate, loving, just. He wants to answer my prayers. He wants to bring resolution to the world's problems. Is that the God that you pray to, or are you praying to a different God? I think it's pretty common, actually, for Christians to have a slightly muddled up picture of God. That, that maybe, just maybe, we actually see God a little bit more like the judge in this story. That our God is, is apathetic. We don't actually expect him... To answer our prayers, we think of him as kind of indifferent, actually, to the plight of his people. Maybe that's the God that you pray to, or maybe the God that you pray to is a, a God who is is really aloof. You know, serene in eternal splendor and holiness, like a giant Buddha statue in the sky with his arms crossed and his eyes closed, just tuning out the noise below. Maybe that's your picture of God as you pray to him. Or maybe, just maybe, the picture of God that you have in your mind is a God who, who wants to help you but just can't, who, who can't seem to get it right. He's a God who's wringing his hands because history has gone off the rails and he wishes he could fix it just like you do, but he's no better to fix it than you are. Maybe that's the God that you pray to. Who is the God that you pray to? I think you have to ask that question, and I think it would be a good question for us to discuss as church kind of comes to an end in a, a little while. Because there is only one true God, And it's the God who is loving and compassionate and just. The reality is that our God is a God who is all ears. He loves to listen to the prayers of his people. And doesn't that change how you're going to pray to him, if you know that, if you believe that? To know that God is on the edge of his seat, listening, hearing all of your prayers, and that he is moved by our requests that he is the one who out of love has resolved that he will come and bring perfect justice one day. He will wipe away every tear. He will do away with death. He will make everything right. That's the God that we pray to. So whenever we pray, we've got to work hard to remember that. Perhaps what we need to do is we need to learn to, to take a moment and to recalibrate our expectations of who we are speaking to to remember that God is this kind of a God, to come back to a passage like this and remind ourselves just how much he wants to answer these prayers, these cries for justice. And Can I say, if you're somebody whose prayer life has always struggled, or maybe just recently, your prayer life has dried up in the midst of 2020, then I tell you, you could do worse than spending some time reflecting on the character and the nature of God. Because as you do that, and as you reflect on the fact that God wants to hear from you, that he loves you, and that he wants to bring justice for his elect, for his chosen ones, that is fuel for your prayers, let me tell you. Because the the bottom line of this parable is that your prayer life matters. It really matters. Did you notice the sting in the tail at the end here in verse 8? The pointed question that Jesus asks to close here. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? Because he's just been talking about the importance of persistent prayer. and Now he's talking about faith. He's shifted gears. What's going on there? Well, Jesus is telling us, actually, that our prayers are a vibrant and vital expression of our faith. In other words, you could say that our prayers are a demonstration of the fact that we are people who are waiting and longing for the return of the Son of Man, longing for the resolution of all things. Because you see, if, if we know that we, li- we are living in a world that is deeply marked by injustice, and if we know that our God is a God who, ha- who can and who has promised to deal with that injustice, if we believe both those things, then they should collide in our hearts and result in prayer. They should result in faith, ceaseless praying for the justice of God. We are people of faith in those things at least, and that should result in prayer. And that, says Jesus, is what he's actually going to be looking for when he returns, when he comes to bring justice. On that day, he's going to be looking for faith. He'll be looking for prayerfulness for his return. And that, that question has such a, an unsettling quality to it, doesn't it? It just gets under your skin. Will he find faith when he comes? Will he? Will he find persistent prayerfulness for his return when he comes? Or will he find people who have lost heart, given up, thrown in the towel? It's an uncomfortable question, and I just want to, as I close, I want to let that question do its work. I want to ask you this question one more time, in the hope that it does the job that Jesus says it's going to do, the job of making us people who want to pray and not give up. And then I'm not going to pray. I'm going to give you some time to pray for a minute or so before band come up and lead us in our final song so let me ask you one more time when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth
2: So as we close with our final song, We Belong to the Day, I invite you to continue to reflect, um, continue to pray to our loving and and compassionate and caring God. So please stand with us.
3: Our prayer life matters. Chapter 18 starts with the heart of the passage. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, and goes on to describe this amazing, determined widow. Are you like this widow in this parable? Do you want to pray and not give up? Are you crying out for justice day in and day out during this time of waiting? Do you feel the sting of injustice? Or are you distracted by the comforts of living in Australia? Do you believe that God's justice will prevail? And and do you pray that it will happen soon? Will you join with me in prayer about this? Lord God, it is such a privilege that we can freely come before you in prayer. I pray that we as believers are characterized by our consistent prayers and faith in you. May we be like the widow in the parable, that we persistently cry out, daily for justice in this broken world, that we are people who cry out day in and day out, that we pray that you open our eyes to see the world that you see this world and that you break our heart for what breaks yours. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, for their boldness as they continue to share in faith. We pray, Lord, that we will pray fervently, determinedly, that we will cry out, come, Lord Jesus, bring your kingdom, Lord. May your will, may your justice, may it come and may it reign all over the earth. We thank you that you are loving, compassionate, and just, and that we can trust in you and your timing in all things. And in all things, call you and trust you as our Father. Amen. And so while this formal part of tonight's church is over um, for tonight, I encourage you to not rush out. But continue church informally with one another. Maybe grab a group of people together and have supper. Maybe encourage each other straight from God's word. Share what struck you from tonight's sermon. Pray for God's justice with one another. And also don't forget to check out that bookstore.